What a wonderful uh, treat we have today. Uh, we've got a guest speaker with us. It's Dr. Tiffany Milne, who is zooming in from Southern California. Um, I'm going to read the portion of the bio that Tiffany sent along, and then I'm going to pause and make some comments along the way. <laughs> Maybe, maybe ask some questions. It says, Dr. Tiffany is a staff minister at the Global Truth Center in Los Angeles, a leader in the prop tech industry, a comedian, a wife, and a mother of two amazing children. So Global Truth Center is where James Mellon uh, is the uh, the leader, and he has he's, he's really on the leading edge. He's getting into quantum physics a lot because it turns out that that's really important. Uh, prop tech was a new term uh, for me. Uh, I immediately thought, is it maybe aviation? and propellers. Uh, perhaps because it's Southern California, it could be the, the props that you use in uh, uh, production um, or a show of some variety. Uh, turns out it's property technology. Uh, think Zillow, but actually think Divi instead, because that's where uh, Tiffany works her day job. Uh, having spent many years studying improv at the Second City and as a stand-up comedian all over Los Angeles, she brings a sharp sense of humor and an unwillingness to take herself or life or even our teaching, too seriously to every class that she teaches and every talk that she gives. The teaching is absolutely serious, but there are ways to have fun with it. And so please join me in welcoming Dr. Tiffany Milne. Thank you so much. Um, thank you, Dr. Bill, for inviting me to come join. I, um, I'm a little emotional this morning. There's just so much love and so much beauty and so much lighthearted reverence is what I like to call it um, here in this room and I in the Zoom. Um, and I'm really, really honored to be a part of it. It, it. it has absolutely been food for the soul for me and I'm, I'm grateful to be here. Um, so, and then when uh, I heard get your ass to class, I was like, yes, I am with my tribe. I am with my people. So um, I always say that uh, the classroom is where the magic happens, that the Sunday is, is inspiring and opens me up to the possibility of who I can be and what my life can, can look like. There's that, that inspiration that, that gets ignited inside of me on a Sunday, but the classroom is where I dive in and dig deep. Um, and that's really how I ended up a minister. I have to be honest with you. I never wanted to be a minister. It was not on my radar. It was not something I was interested in. Quite honestly, it seemed like, um, you know, giving up judgment and sarcasm was a prerequisite to be a minister. And I just wasn't really all that interested in letting it go. Um, and so for me, what happened was that I found science of mind because I was a little, I, you know, was a little rebellious and didn't really love organized religion, but I had two kids and I wanted them to have some form of faith. And so I walked into my first science of mind class and I was amazed or first science, first Sunday of science of mind and was just blown away that they were speaking things that I inherently believed that I didn't know how I believed it. And that there was an entire teaching around these ideas that I thought I was crazy for having concocted in my own mind. And what we know is that our heart, is, when our heart is led, there's there's that um, that synergy that happens. And so um, I dove into classes right away. I, I wanted more. I wanted to know more. I wanted to study. And one class led to another. Um, and suddenly I woke up one day and they were calling me Reverend Doctor. That's really what the path feels like. Um, I remember taking a college class um, 
early, early on in college. And they asked me, there was an assignment, it was, I think it was a psychology class, and they asked me to go around and ask other people to define me in a word or a short phrase, and then asked me to define myself in a word or a short phrase. And besides the obvious ones of like, you know, funny and smart and charming, um, I may have added that last one myself, um, there, were, there were these themes to how I was perceived in the world, both how I perceived myself and how other people perceived me. And um, the term fighter came up a lot, a strong sense of justice, which is really just a fancy way of saying judgmental. Um, someone who knows what she wants and will move mountains to make it happen, which is really just a fancy term for stubborn. Um, rebellious. And there was also this one of someone who plays it safe, someone who, you know, doesn't, that is very, knows what she is achievable and stays within that box and doesn't, you know, I'm not walking down dark alleys on a late night. Um, and I have to be honest with you, I loved these qualities about myself. When I heard fighter, I was like, yeah, rebellious. Oh my goodness. I loved being rebellious. Um, stubborn. I'll take it. I, you know, a strong, sharp sense of mind. Um, and so when I came to science of mind and I started diving into all these classes, I did recognize that my edges softened a little bit, but I was holding so steadfast to this idea of who I was. And so like, I started to believe in oneness with people I liked. If you thought like me and you were, you know, of people I deemed to be worthy of me not being judgmental, we were one and I, and I was right there with you, but I wasn't one with everybody, clearly. Um, so there were these little shifts that were happening, but I'm, so I'm in ministerial and I'm getting very, very close to graduation with zero intention of letting go of anything, any of these qualities of myself that I enjoyed very much. Um, and a mentor and a teacher who was like, you will, I will break you. Um, or, or maybe breaking me isn't the right term, but just wanting, knowing that there was something beyond that if I could just get out of my own way. Um, and and I had I was so attached to my identity, my persona. And so getting to the end of ministerial and I'm at I'm at work and my daughter was getting a karate belt and I at in the evening at about 6 p.m. And I worked about a half an hour away from home. So I'm working along and I get a notification that there was a plane crash on the freeway of um, the freeway that I take to get home. But I, by this point, I mean, I'm in ministerial. I'm a powerful manifester. Um, I can manifest a parking spot like nobody's business and make like making life happen for myself. No problem at all. I'm going to get to that karate karate ceremony. And so I left work hours in advance. Um, and by this time, I'd even acquired some patience. And so. I don't let things like traffic get to me anymore. And so I I leave work several hours early and I get in the car and I'm headed. There's an alternate freeway. I'm just gonna go down to the other freeway and, and go around the mountain and go that way. 
So I get in my car and I'm driving and I'm crawling and my car's crawling. They're, we're going nowhere down this street to get to the other freeway. No problem. I turned on my music and I cranked it and I'm dancing and I'm, I'm living my best life because it's all consciousness, right? And I'm getting to that belt ceremony. Um, and then I find out that the freeway that I'm headed to, the reason for all the traffic, besides people rerouting to go that way, a truck had overturned on the freeway and that freeway was shut down. And now I'm stranded on this boulevard. I can't, I can't get anywhere, um, but that's okay. Cause I'm a powerful ma manifester and I'm a metaphysician. And so I crank my music and I'm dancing and I trust and know that that accident is gonna be resolved quickly. And I am getting to that belt ceremony because I focused my mind and I was getting to the belt ceremony and I'm crawling. And it's about, now I'm stuck on this highway for about an hour and a half. I still have time to get to the belt ceremony, but it's getting a little tight. And I can start to feel rage welling up inside of me. I can feel the anxiety and I can feel this line, I get just ugh, welling up inside of me. And I hear this voice that, you know, that still small voice inside of us that speaks quietly and lovingly. And it said, you know, you don't have to experience this if you don't want to. And I thought that voice should shut up because I thought it was that voice of, you know, you know, it's all consciousness. And, and I didn't want to hear any of that. Ministerial class be damned. I've been sitting on this highway for two and a half hours and I have a belt ceremony to get to. Um, and I'm, I'm sitting, so I crank up the music to drown out the voice and I'm sitting there and I'm fuming and suddenly I had to pee and I'm sitting there and I'm bouncing and I've got to go to the restroom and I'm angry and I hear the voice again and it says, you know, you don't have to experience this if you don't want to. Um, and at that point I figured it was my bladder speaking and it turns out I'm more willing to listen to that than to the God voice within. Um, and I decided that I wasn't gonna make the belt ceremony and I turned around. Uh, my parents happened to live about five minutes from where I was at. And I turned around and I decided to go have dinner with my parents. And I got to my parents' house and my, my parents, especially my dad, were so excited to see me in this impromptu dinner. Um, and, I, and I spent the evening there. And I'd like to tell you that then all was right with my psyche, but the reality was I was checking Google Maps the, for much of the dinner. Um, and it was, I, every way was set telling me it was gonna take two, three hours to get home. There was just no good way to get home. And that voice said to me again, you know, you don't have to experience this if you don't want to. And finally, because I'm a slow learner, I was like, fine, okay, I will just enjoy my evening and allow, like, I'm just going to experience my parents and, and all that this has to offer. And I had a lovely meal and I spent beautiful time with them. And when it was time to go, eventually I was like, I've got to head home.
Um, and if it's going to take me three hours, it's going to take me three hours, but I got to get home to my, my husband and my kids. And when I was looking at the maps, it was, you know, two hours, three hours, there was no good way. But what the maps didn't show me was the canyon. And I had grown up in these canyons and they're windy and twisty and, and it was dark and it was late and there was no guarantee that those were going to be, um, not have traffic either. Um, and while I knew a good portion of it, I knew a lot of the canyon because I had grown up driving those canyons. Closer to my house, it got a lot more windy and a little more scary, and I wasn't as familiar. And so I thought as I was leaving my parents' house, better play it safe. Let's just get on the freeway and, and, and take the streets and see where it takes me. And I hugged my parents and kissed them and, and said goodbye. And I sort of did a, a, a spiritual mind treatment and was like, let's go. But something happened when I got to the car. And for some reason, I had this option of going the freeway, but I opted to take the canyon. I started down towards the canyon and I turned on my music. Um, I chose music from my youth. I, there was a nostalgia that came through me as I was driving. And all I can explain is that suddenly there was this sense of merging of who I had been as I was driving down that canyon in my youth and who I had become um, in all this, this time in this teaching and that I had been so busy being determined not to lose my identity that I didn't even see who I was becoming. Suddenly I realized that I'm somebody who chose the path less traveled, that I chose that scary route of the canyon, something I would have never done before. And somebody who was willing, begrudgingly, admittingly, to allow and have an amazing dinner with my parents without the stress of not making it to my best laid plans. Underneath all of this rebellion and this judgment and this insecurity, was the minister, was the divine truth of who I am. You know, Thomas Troward talks about the divine ideal that inherent in every person and everything is the seed of perfection. That seed of perfection resides in me, has me as each and every person that's here. And when we can let go of who we think we are, and how things are supposed to be when we get rid of all the layers that we've thrown on top of that, we become infinite and we allow our divine selves to shine through and everything becomes possible. I can tell you that it took me 20 minutes to get home. There was no traffic on that canyon and it was smooth sailing and there was this sense of peace and sense of understanding of who I am in a way that almost feels indescribable to explain to, to all of you in the course of this talk. From this place, that's where we're using the law of cause and effect to really create the lives that we want. The thing that's holding us back is us. These ideas of who we are, these ideas of what life is supposed to be, this idea of, of clinging to our identity and to our personality, 
clinging to our resentments. You know, I didn't always have the best relationship with my parents and I held them accountable and judged them that strong sense of judge justice for everything that they did wrong. And what I recognized while I was driving through that canyon is the baggage of my past was heavy. It was heavy and it was literally creating whatever limitations I was experiencing in my life. Our limitations are created by that baggage that we carry. But we also teach the principles not bound by precedent. So you get to decide. So when do we decide that we're gonna be free? For me, it was unlocking it in that canyon. For me, it was being willing to just shed it all and to emerge as, as that seed of perfection that had always been who I was all along. So my question for all of us is, who are you at your core? Who can you become when you stop telling yourself who you already are? We have to let go of who we think we are in order to experience the more that life has to offer. When I love me, I can love you. When I love me, I can experience true oneness that isn't predicated on you behaving the way I think you should. When I forgive me, I can forgive you. And what I didn't know that night with the train or the, the plane and the truck and the dinner was that shortly thereafter, my father passed away. And I got to experience that evening, that beautiful, wonderful evening. And so I, there's gratitude and thankfulness in all things. I celebrate everything today, every moment, every perceived derailment. I will be forever grateful for that plane and that truck and my overfilled bladder that led me to my parents' house that evening. And so I'd like to end with a poem. Um, it's by Sapphire Rose. It's just an excerpt, excerpt of it. Um, it says, she let go. She let go without a thought or a word. She just let go. She let go of the fear. She let go of the judgments. She let go of the confluence of opinions swarming around her head. She let go of the committee of indecision within her. She let go of all of the right reasons. Wholly and completely, without hesitation or worry, she just let go. She didn't ask anyone for advice. She didn't read a book on how to let go. She didn't search the scriptures. She just let go. No one was around when it happened. There was no applause or congratulations. No one thanked her or praised her. No one noticed a thing. Like a leaf falling from a tree, she just let go. There was no effort. There was no struggle. It wasn't good and it wasn't bad. It was what it was and it is just that. In the space of letting go, she let it all be. A small smile came over her face. A light breeze blew through her and the sun and the moon shone forevermore. And I invite all of us to just let go 
and see the amazement that life can be. Namaste.